Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Chris Delaney about using AI in the interview process to reduce unconscious bias. Chris Delaney, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me down here. I'm really excited to be on your show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be with you. You're joining us from the UK. Uh, a bit of a time difference evening for you. It's morning here south of Salt Lake City in Orem, Utah for me. Today, we're going to be focusing on the barriers in doing a successful job interview, some of the unconscious bias effects that influence the way we make decisions, um, and really how we can go about doing interviewing in a more fair and equitable way. And one of the tools to be able to do that, something that's um, been new on the scene the last few years, is using AI to help with the interviewing process and how we're evaluating applicants. So today we're going to be focusing on AI interviews and the unconscious bias effect. Um, As we get started, I wanted to share Chris's bio with everybody. Chris Delaney is an interview coach and author of What Is Your Interview Identity? Chris, being dyslexic, left school with no qualifications and thought his life was going nowhere, but he always had a passion for wanting to help other people. And Chris now helps career professionals succeed in job interviews at www.employment.com king.co.uk. And that URL is in the show notes. Uh, Again, it's great to be with you, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we launch on in? No, I think with my background, it just shows that you can have, you know, no qualifications, I was dyslexic, had a list, but you can still be successful. It's all about setting goals, taking action uh, and being positive, having a positive mindset. Yeah, that positive mindset is super important. I think most people experience setbacks, barriers, um, challenges in life. And, uh, you know, some people have more privilege and, uh, and others less privilege. And, you know, we, we all kind of interface with the world from our own context, our own background. And I guess the question is, what are we going to do with the opportunities that have been given to us? And, and uh, how can we make the most of it, right? And so I, I think that's a part of your story that's very compelling and important life lesson for all of us listening. Uh, the other piece of this, of course, then is you found yourself in a career where you're helping people with the interview process. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit and start just by really exploring what some of those biggest barriers are to effective interviewing. It's interesting, you know, I do research in this area. And uh, among all of the different approaches to try to understand who's going to be a good employee for your, you know, to join your team and be part of your organization. 
consistently over decades, interviewing has been shown to be the least reliable <laughs> of all of all of the different techniques, yet it's the most common and prevalent. And I suppose there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, but it, it has all sorts of problems in, in those barriers persist to helping us make good decisions. So what are some of those that you see uh, in the work that you do? It's so interesting what you're saying there, that a job interview is the worst way to predict the performance of the employees that you're trying to get onto your team, because it really is actually. And the problem is, is the employees often interview someone for like 45 minutes and make a hiring decision based off that 45 minute job interview. If they're not doing a structured job interview, which the research shows helps predict the job performance, and it's, it's just like an informal chat, you don't really have the ability to compare the applicant's answers against the next applicant or against the job criteria. And that's why many employers fall down that pit hole of hiring people who aren't suitable for their organization or their team. Yeah, so structured interviews helps um, to overcome some of the challenges. Having multiple rounds of interviews, having multiple people involved in the interview process, all of these things can help, yet uh, bias still seeps in, doesn't it? Uh, I've been involved in so many um, hiring committees and uh, interview, uh, I, I've been involved in so many interviews with so many different applicants at different levels of, uh, you know, various organizations, and inevitably, bias comes out, and if you're attuned to it, you kind of know what how to recognize it. You see it all the time, um, and it, it's very frustrating. And you try to counteract it, but the reality is, we're all humans, and we all, you know, have all of the stuff that's going on behind us that we don't even always fully recognize. Uh, and sometimes we call that unconscious bias. Uh, we, there's all these biases we have, these prejudices that we have, um, and it doesn't have to be malicious. It doesn't mean I have to like be out to get you know people of a certain background, but we just have all the stuff going on in the back of our heads that can influence the way we make our decisions. So how do we start to recognize unconscious bias in the interviewing process and how can we counteract that? Yeah, so you kind of have like three reactions. The interviewer walks downstairs to meet the applicant for the first time. And as soon as you meet someone for the first time, you make an instant opinion about that person. And it happens in milliseconds. You know, a lot of, a lot of people talk about it takes 10 or 20 seconds, but it doesn't. It happens in that moment as soon as you see someone. And it's based on people's gender, their perceived age, their height, the clothes they're wearing, the tonality of their voice, their posture, their gestures everything about that person, all this data feeds into your mind and you make uh, an opinion about that person. And like you said, Jonathan, you know, some people might be racist, might be sexist, uh, or may, might be ages, and it's really hard to change their opinion if they have such a negative view on a particular cohort of people. But most people make an unconscious bias because of their own experiences, their beliefs, their values, the culture, the, the culture of the country they grew up in as well. It all influences how we see and how we make opinions about other people. There was a really good experiment where they sent um, the same application to hundreds of different employers, but he attached one or two photographs. Photograph one was of an obese person. And the second photograph was of a natural weight person. I don't really know what a natural weight person is, but they said in the experiment it was a natural weight person. And the conclusion was that uh, the, the applications that were sent with the obese picture uh, resulted in a, a less, a lower number of job interviews. But Jonathan, when I talked about that obese person, did you picture a male or female person in your mind? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, probably the first thing that came to my mind was a female. 
So interesting, because I, I, I often say this question to lots of people, and about 90% of people say male, but it doesn't really matter if you say female or male, but that's unconscious bias in operation. Just the, just the fact that I didn't even think about it, just that's yeah. what popped in, right? Yeah, and, and that's what happens to us all. We meet someone, and this goes back to our ancestors, the hunter and gatherers, where we want to know if someone's a friend or a foe. Should we run? Should we fight? Or should we try and fake, uh, you know, trade fish uh, for vegetables with that, with that other person? And it's still in our mind now that we meet someone, we make an opinion to protect ourselves. But in the job interview situation, these opinions influence how the employer views that applicant's answers when you get to the job interview process. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. And again, it's not to point fingers. I mean, there are things we need to try to do from a legal compliance standpoint, from an equal employment opportunity standpoint. We want um, you know, to keep in mind diversity, equity, inclusion issues, um, certainly. And we don't want any, any uh, racism, sexism, any of the isms, right? <laughs> Influencing the way we're making decisions. Um, but it's 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 not about pointing fingers, and I think most of the time when we see these types of things emerge, it it isn't like overt racism. It really is just these unconscious biases that that subtly influence a lot of the way we view the world and the, uh, the way that we um, uh, make decisions and go through an interviewing process. And it doesn't have to be racism or sexism or or homophobia or any of those things. I mean, there there's just so many different ways that these little biases impact us. Uh, I did a study a number of years ago um, using eye tracking technology and EEG scanning of the brain to look at, for example, um, body art. So individuals that had visible tattoos um, or, or piercings, more than just like you know a simple ear piercing, but like multiple piercings, those sorts of things. And you look at one version, there'd be a, job, a resume and a picture of the applicant um, one version with body art, one version without body art. Um, and like you said, it wasn't a matter of like 10 seconds that people make their judgment. It's milliseconds. People make their judgment immediately. And the eye tracking software would allow us to, to see exactly what drew their attention. And of course it was the body art. And so, um, you know, when people are in those situations, they're not even thinking about it. Uh, but something, that doesn't really matter in terms of someone's knowledge, skills, abilities, capabilities, and ability to, you know, do a good job at work, you know, instead of them being uh, evaluated on those things, they're evaluated on whether they have a visible tattoo or they have a gauge in their ear or a nose piercing or whatever. And those things don't matter. So if, if it doesn't, if, if that's what happens when we're just doing something like body art, how much more can it happen when you're talking about gender or about race, about those sorts of things? Um, and, and so we just need to be aware of that that those challenges are there, that we have to try to overcome them. And that leads us into um, some of the AI technologies that have been implemented in the workplace in, in part as a, as a way to, to make things more streamlined and more efficient as we go through the hiring process, because it does take a long time, uh, but also to try to remove some of the uh, those unconscious biases that may influence the way we make decisions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so there's two things that's happening now. So one, they're having um, applications where they take out all the information that might, might create an unconscious bias. So you take out someone's name, age, gender, even the universities that they study at because that also creates an unconscious bias. Uh, or the other thing is, like you said, a lot of companies are using AI now. One of the reasons for the AI is because of the unconscious bias problem. But the other reason is for large organizations such as like Google and Microsoft, they get on average about 7,000 applications for every single job 
just imagine like the HR team having to read 7,000 applications. It's just too much work. So what they use now is AI to scan the CVs, the resumes, the applications to check um, through the AI algorithms if there's enough keywords in there to represent that person's got the ability, the experience and qualifications to apply for that job. So you've got AI scanning your applications to see if you're, you're talking about, you know, using industry jargon, theories and models and experiences and all these keywords to see if it's suitable. The second stage is to stiff uh, applicants out. What they're doing now is using uh, video technology where AI will come up and ask uh, normally up to three questions and the applicant has either one or two minutes to answer that question. And as soon as it gets to two minutes, the video recording just stops. If you're halfway through your answer or you're, you're you know, halfway through the line, you're not finished in time, that video uh, just ends. And sometimes AI analyzes the videos or sometimes a human person will analyze the recorded videos as well to see who then goes round down to the face-to-face -face round. So it's being used in a couple of different uh, variations, but the scanning of CVs, resumes and, and applications has been happening for a while actually. Uh, and the video um, recordings is just coming a little bit newer. And then in the future as well, we're going to have, you know, uh, Zuckerberg keeps talking about the um, uh, metaverse, doesn't it? So we'll be having, you know, 3D job interviews in the metaverse at some point in the future as well. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about all of these um these disruptive technologies and the advancements. Um, and, and of course, each of these have their own pros and cons and, and uh, strengths and weaknesses. And I think about um, the AI use in video interviewing or in scanning resumes. And there really are, you know, a lot of efficiencies there. And if the AI is trained well, uh, it really can kind of equalize the process, right? So that you're not having my bias influence my decisions or another hiring managers or whatever, like it's, there's a baseline, right? And, and everyone's kind of getting evaluated by the same thing. The challenge is how do you train the AI, right? How do you make sure that there aren't biases embedded into the AI itself? And that's been a big issue. Like there's, there's been a lot of research around this um, showing that certainly unintentionally, but, but the AI can only do what it's trained to do. It can only do, it can only um, put out 
uh, results based on the inputs, right? And so if you um, if you have biased hiring practices in the history of your company, and then you feed all of that into the AI to show the AI what it needs to look for, lo and behold, what are you going to find? It's going to spit out more biased decisions. And so we have to be very careful about that. And that's why we need to have oversight. That's why we need to make sure that there are people who are also reviewing the videos, who are doing quality control, who are also scanning the, the resumes to spot check the AI to make sure uh, that there aren't um, these sorts of diversity issues that arise based on the way the AI has been trained. Yeah, definitely. So there was an experiment in, or not an experiment, I think they kind of tested this technology uh, in America with like the court. So they fed uh, these AI bots all the, you know, 100 years of court cases uh, and they wanted to see uh, how would AI give um, uh, jail term to different individuals. And what they found is uh, because of the data they fed to these bots, if a black person did a small crime like robbing some sweets from a, uh, from a supermarket, the AI bot would then give them like 20, 30 or 40 years in jail. And then if like, um, I don't know, a, a 20 to 30 year old uh, white male person kills someone as an example, the AI bot would just give them like this really low sentence uh, because historically there has been lots of racism in different countries and in court cases as well. So like you said, the information we feed the bots and the algorithms, that then makes them make decisions based on that data. And I think that's why companies at the moment are kind of using it uh, at the smaller end where they just get to do the videos to do the uh, scanning of the keywords is I, I see it a little bit with a scanning a bit like Google you put a question in and Google scans all these websites and then comes up with the best search it's kind of like that in it you know you, you want a b and c criteria for this position the bot scans all these resumes and then it gives you you know 10 uh, people to interview uh, and it's the same with the voice recognition uh, on the videos it's just scanning what you're saying basically and then seeing if you've got the job criteria yeah, and it's interesting to another piece of this. I mean, there's the diversity piece in terms of unconscious bias, um, the diversity, equity, inclusion elements. But it's also interesting for me to think about as we move into the future of work, we're going to see we see more and more people kind of shifting jobs, shifting companies, shifting careers, and we're we're interested in finding transferable skill sets, right? And so, my question is, how do we train? AI who are scanning resumes, for example, to look for the diamond in the rough, who may not have all the buzz terms of like someone who's been embedded in that industry, but has actually all the knowledge, skills and abilities and even really relevant experience. It's just atypical. It's it's not what you would you know normally see um, in that kind of a, a job search. How do we, you know, and that 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 is one of those human elements that it's it seems hard to replicate with the technology. How do how do we get there? Yeah, but with situational job interviews, you have to get asked behavioral job interviews. So tell me a time when you did this, tell me a time when you did why. Where situational job interview questions are, give me an example of doing this, or give, uh, tell me what you would do in this situation. So with the robots, it'd be dead easy for them with behavioral job interview questions to kind of scan your answers and go, we need you to do A, B, and C, so that, that, you know, that works out. If you're, in, if you're recruiting someone who's come from a completely different job sector, who's then entering your job sector, they'll have all these like innovative, creative ideas and their answer won't have the key terms that the robot will be searching for, but their answer might give you like really good solutions to, uh, to industry problems because it's fresh eyes, a new perspective and an innovative, uh, you know, innovative way of looking at that, that same old problem. 
And lots of companies as well, especially these big organizations, they're proactively recruiting people from loads of different sectors because they know getting a team of people with different backgrounds, different perspectives, different experiences can find, you know, uh, really creative um, solutions or creative ways of approaching uh, old problems. So it's quite hard, isn't it? You kind of got this robot saying, I need to search on a basic level. I need you to have A, B, C, and D. And if you don't say I've got A, B, C, and D, you're not getting the job role. Well, actually, employers don't want that because they want work ethic, don't they? They want people who fit into the culture of the organization. They want people who've got all these, like, you know, creative problem solving is one of the number one skills employers are looking for at the moment. It's so hard for a robot, unless it's dead intelligent, uh, to, to recognize that. Yeah, it's super hard. And, and at the current, um, you know, where we're at currently, it's it's impossible, right? We're just not there yet. Um, perhaps we can get to the point where we can we can make the uh, the AI so sophisticated that it can, it can find those things. Um, but right now we can't. And so that just speaks again to having a balance uh, between the AI and the human uh, component and making sure that uh, we have a way to, to look at uh, and, and spot check and, and really uh, understand the nature of, of what we're dealing with, with, with the applicants that we may have so that we don't lose out on someone who could be really amazing, really awesome um, and not exclude them from the pool just because, you know, they don't have some specific they don't check some specific box that we say is important. But that also speaks to the need to ask the right kinds of questions in interviews. So ha have a good interview with the right types of questions. It also speaks to the need, whether you're using AI or not, to actually have the right KSAs listed in your job description. So what are the, the knowledge, skills, and abilities that you need? What are, what's the years of experience, the education that is needed? And, and challenge your assumption on that because we have kind of all these traditions in hiring and in recruiting. And we think, oh, for someone to have this role, they need all of these things, all check all these boxes. Well, really, do they? Do they need all those things? <laughs> do you need five years of experience? Um, do you need a college degree in such and such a field? Um, and I think the research shows that those factors often aren't very predictive at all of whether or not someone can be successful. And five years of crappy experience isn't going to help someone be successful in a new opportunity. But you could have someone who is super energetic and super capable, who only has a year of experience, and you can plug them in and they're going to run with it, right? And so don't shoot yourself in the foot by having these, um, these silly requirements uh, and then feeding that into an AI or really even just having people making decisions based on these silly requirements that don't actually matter. One of my favorite stories is this story about uh, a packaging organization who was, uh, they had like an online shop and they sent all these goods, but it kept getting loads of complaints because they was trying to automate their warehouse. Uh, and one of the problems was is some boxes was getting sent out with, with no goods in there. So there's getting sent out, customers open this empty box, complain, want the money back, and there's getting bad reviews on Google and everywhere else. So all the senior executives, all the senior managers, you know, all these like really high paid individuals got around the boardroom, was trying to like work out these ideas, tested things, wanted to put millions of pounds of, uh, of money into like different technology. And they're like, this, this, this problem was gonna cost them so much money to solve. In the meantime, they realized that uh, over the last couple of months when they've been trying to solve this problem, the number of customers complaining had gone down. And I thought, what, what's happened? Like, how's this problem naturally solved itself? So they went down to the warehouse where this 
uh, warehouse worker on minimum wage had solved a problem because he's also recognized this problem in the, in the company because everyone was talking about it. What he did is at the end of the conveyor belt where the boxes were going into the trolleys to be dispatched, he put a pair of scales on and he just watched the scales. And if the scales uh, had a low weight on there, he took the box out and double checked it. If the scales had the right weight on there, the box went out. It cost him 99p to buy those scales. <laughs> I've heard similar stories, you know, within a production facility or um, distribution facilities or, or a factory or whatever, like oftentimes it's those people on the line um, who have the best insights and we don't often tap into those. And so we need to make sure that we're talking to the right people, that we're getting the right inputs, that we're understanding what actually matters in, the, in one's ability to do the job effectively, and then focus on those things. And don't focus on all the other stuff that just doesn't really matter. Even if tradition says, you know, we need 10 years of senior executive experience for blah, blah, blah role, you know, question that, challenge that, and really think about um, what is most important. It also is an issue with diversity, equity, and inclusion, because we know, for example, uh, that men will tend to apply for a position if they only have 45 to 50% of the required um, elements in the job description, but women will only apply if they have 90 plus percent um, if they feel like they meet all of those requirements. And so we're, we are going to, if we're having all this long checklist of all these things that don't actually matter, um, men on average will say, that doesn't really matter. I'm going to apply anyways. And women often won't. So then we're going to end up with more men in leadership positions, fewer women, and that perpetuates all these um, gender inequities in the workplace and in leadership, which has its own range of problems. So again, we just need to make sure we're focusing on the right things. Well, Chris, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. I, I'm noting the time and I need to let you go soon. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, great. So, uh, yeah, my name is Chris Blainer. I'm an interview coach at employmentking.co.uk. My latest book is What is Your Interview Identity, which really helps career professionals pass job interviews. And the final thing I wanted to say is the three rules of a successful job interview is one, identify the job criteria. Number two, be a self-promoter. And number three, communicate with confidence. Do those three things, you'll generally pass a high number of job interviews. Yeah, well said. Thank you, Chris. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the website, check out Chris and his work and what his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? 
Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.